But she has to be Let's continue. Let's continue learning what it is to have real, real Achavas Israel. And so now let's talk. Let's continue to open this up. Um, at the end of his life, Rav Mir Simcha HaKohen, a Devinsk, author of the classics Or Sameach and Meshek Chokmah, was lying ill on his deathbed. And one noted rabbi wanted to send telegrams to towns and communities all over the Jewish world asking them to say Tehillim for the great Rav. And surprisingly, Rav Mir Simcha refused to allow it. He explained that sending such telegrams all over the world is obviously something that's done only for a special person, and he did not want to be distinguished from everyone else. His reasoning was that when someone is singled out, heaven judges him as an individual. He must realize on his own personal merit. He must rely. He has to rely on his own merits, and, and they may not suffice. So if instead, if he remains among the people, their merits can be applied to him as well. So the concept appears also in, in, in the second of Melachim. The prophet Elisha often visited the home of the Shunanite woman who would serve him meals. And eventually she gave him his own room with a table and a bed to use when he visited. Filled with gratitude, Elisha asked the woman if there was anything that she wished or needed. Perhaps she needed him to speak to the king on her behalf. She turned down the offer, replying, I dwell among my people. So upon hearing her response, Gershasi, Elisha's attendant, told Elisha that this woman was elderly and had not yet been blessed with children. Elisha then promised her that in one year's time she would be hugging a son. And so it was. So the reply to the Shunamite woman seems quite perplexing. She had waited for years to have a child. Imagine how many prayers she has to have, must have prayed and how many tears she must have cried. And finally, the most promising opportunity came her way. A prophet, a great man, offered to fulfill any request, but yet she turned him down? So why didn't she ask him for a blessing to have a child? And furthermore, how does I dwell among my people serve as a response to Elisha's offer? So the Zohar Kadosh provides a fascinating explanation. On the day that Elisha spoke with the Shunammite woman, was it was Rosh Hashanah and Elisha therefore suggested that since on this day Hashem judges the world the Navi would make a request on the woman's behalf when Elisha said that he could speak to the king for her he was referring to the king of all kings Hashem Kadosh Baruch so the Shunammite woman therefore answered I dwell among my people she knew that on Rosh Hashanah the day of judgment the safest place to be is with the crowd and those who stay within the group have the merit of the group thus meriting a good judgment. But the minute one is singled out, he stands on his own. He needs to supply all the merit on his own. And we could see this concept in action. When World War II broke out, many students of the Mir Yeshiva wanted to return home to be with their families. However, Rav Chaim Shmolovitz instructed the students to remain with the Yeshiva. Most of the students heeded his advice, but some for various reasons did not. And as we know, anyone who remained with the yeshiva was miraculously saved from the war. And sadly, those students who left, as great as some of them were, didn't survive. Those who remained in the yeshiva were part of a large group, and each benefited from the merits of the entire yeshiva. But those who left relied on their own merit and did not have the protection of the group. And additionally, the Bas Ayan in Parashat Miketz explains that Hashem's presence dwells mainly among humble people, the humble the hallmark of this humility is that the person realizes that as a human being steeped in the pleasures of this world, he's a lowly creature, unworthy of having his own prayers answered. 
but he joins with the Jewish people as a whole in the spirit of I dwell among my people. And to achieve such humility, such that a person sees himself first and foremost as part of the cloud, says the base iron, a person must love every single member of the Jewish people. He must unite himself with the cloud, thus enabling Hashem's presence to dwell upon him. And through that, his prayers are answered. And we all want to merit a good judgment on Rosh Hashanah. And Azal are teaching us how. Be part of the group. Care about our fellow Jews. Join in their pain and in their joy. We need to focus all year, all year round. But on Rosh Hashanah, it's even more, more important. So, describing the manner in which Hashem judges the world on Rosh Hashanah, the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah states that all people of the world come before him as Bnei Maron. The Gemara lists three opinions as to the meaning of Bnei Maron. Like sheep that pass through the opening of their coral one by one. Like, or like the incline of base Maron, an arrow pass through which only one person at a time can pass. Or three, like the soldiers of David Amalek's army who were counted one by one as they marched off the battle. So each of these three explanations shares one trait. Those who are judged are viewed one by one on an individual basis. The Gemara then adds in the name of Rabbi Yohanan, but they are all examined in one glance. Rashi explains that Rabbi Yohanan was not contradicting the above opinion. He's teaching that although everyone is judged individually, Hashem also judges them all at once. And what's the meaning of these two types of judgment? Furthermore, why are they both necessary? The altar of Kelm explains that on Rosh Hashanah, every person faces different judgments. First, he is judged as an individual based on his deeds and misdeeds. And secondly, people are judged on a congressional level. This judgment is based on a person's connection to the Jewish people. And these are the two manners of judgment which the Gemara is for referring to. First one by one, and then all at once. So a person can be studying Torah, davening three times a day and doing mitzvot, but he may not have any connection to the Jewish people. He may see himself as an individual serving Hashem, but not feel responsible for his fellow Jews' material needs or spiritual growth. And this person doesn't realize that the Jewish people must serve Hashem as a group. And the individual is part of that group. And such a person, although he may emerge victorious in the first judgment, will fail in the second. And Rav Israel Salanter taught that one, the only way to, to only way to merit a good judgment on Rosh Hashanah is to be a person whom everyone needs. And Rav Shlomo Wolbe clarifies that this does not mean that a person must be a communal activist. He can sit quietly in his own corner of the Beit HaMikdash, never leaving his place, but still, still be a person whom the Zibor needs. And this is because when a person is Nosei Bo'ol, shares the burden with his friend, he's a person the Zibor needs by virtue of his willingness to carry others' burdens and share in their Simcha. He sees himself as belonging to the Zibor at large. And why is this so important? So his father-in-law of uh, the base, uh, the, the base uh, Halevi, uh, Rav Nelson Sherman gave the following example. He said, a secretary makes sure to develop a very specialized system for managing the office so that she knows how the records are kept. And this way she becomes indispensable. Even if she makes the occasional mistake, the boss will not be able to fire her. And likewise, when Hashem judges us as individuals, we can find ourselves in trouble. Even as has shortcomings and faults and perhaps we don't have enough merit for a good judgment. But if we've created for ourselves an indispensable role in the functioning of the Jewish people, Hashem needs us in His company. Even if we've made mistakes, He will grant us a good year to continue filling our role in His nation. And this is the meaning of the Magzor's word, and inscribe us in the book of life for your sake, O living God. So we're telling Hashem that although we may not be worthy of life based on our own merit, 
we, we request that he grant us life for his sake, for the sake of his enterprise. We're not there. We're not here for ourselves. We plead. We are here for Hashem and the Jewish people. And furthermore, the Bele Musar teach that whenever we have pleasure in this world, which we may not have deserved, we may very likely be eating up our portion in the world to come. However, explains Rabbi Yeruham Levovitz, if we live our life for Hashem's sake, rather than for our own sake, this calculation is irrelevant because we are like an employee in a company who enjoys the use of his company's expense account. And towards the end of his life, just as World War II was beginning, Rav Haim Ozer Grodzenski, the Gadolador, was very ill. And Vilna printing shops were printing counterfeit visas. He was asked if he wanted to such a visa to uh, print it for him. All I ask for is a visa to remain in this lowly world, he answered. He wasn't thinking about how to escape from war-torn Europe. He just wanted to stay alive long enough to help all the people who were depending on him. And as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah, we, this should be our attitude. What do I want? I want a visa to stay another year in this world so I can help the people who need me. So Rav Wolby writes that this is a piercing hashbon hanefesh that one must make in preparation for the Yom Hadim. A person must clarify to himself for what goal is he living? One must think deeply into his desires to see what he's aspiring. Is he living for personal pleasure or is his entire being living to be a small spark of Hashem's glory in this world? And so, on Rosh Hashanah, which is a day of judgment, Hashem sits on his throne of judgment. Upon the blowing of the shofar, he moves to his throne of mercy. And the Midrash derives from this, from the verse of Tehillim, God, Elohim, has ascended with the trumpet blast. Hashem, with the sound of the shofar, as we know, Hashem's name, Elohim, represents his midah of justice, while the name of the Yud and the K and the Vav K represents his midah of mercy. And therefore, the verse means that Hashem's attribute of mercy is aroused with the shofar blasts. And one of the most important focuses of the day is to sweeten the judgment, to change the name Elohim into the Yud K and the Vav K. Hazal teach that the way to do this is by sounding the shofar. And however, as mentioned previously, Hazal mentioned another way to arouse Hashem's mercy, by having mercy on others. And the Chida, citing Dorshe Reshumos, offers an interesting hint on how these two concepts connect. The word Ahada, love, has a numerical value of 13, which is the same as that of the word Echad, one. So when we love our friend, that Ahada is 13. And when our friend unites with us, reciprocating with love, we add another 13. And thus we have 13 plus 13 is 26, which is the numerical value, the gematria of Hashem's name of mercy. And with this, the Kida explains the verse, Love your friend as yourself. I am Hashem. When we love our friend as we love ourselves, we numerically create Hashem's name of chesed, of mercy. And the Kida himself provides another hint. The word kamoha, as yourself, has the numerical value of 86, which is the same gematria as Elohim, Hashem's name of justice. And the verse can then be interpreted as follows, when you love your friend Kamocha as yourself, the number 86 representing Hashem's name of justice becomes Ani Hashem, Hashem's name of mercy. And there's a story told of two childhood friends. One of them became a spy, but he was caught and sentenced to death. As the executioner was preparing to hang him, he begged, please let me go back and say goodbye to my family. So not trusting that he will come back, they insisted that he find a replacement to guarantee his return. 
If he didn't come back, the guarantor would die instead of him. And of course, when he asked his old childhood friend to serve as his guarantor, the friend agreed. And the date arrived on which his spy was supposed to return from his hanging, but he was still not back. The clock was ticking closer to noon. The time for the execution was approaching when suddenly a carriage careened into the marketplace where the execution was about to take place. The spy leaped from the carriage screaming, Stop! I'm back! Don't kill my friend! I'm here! So they removed the noose from the friend, the guarantor, and began to place it around the neck of the spy. Then the guarantor began to cry, No, no, hang me! Let my friend live! The king, who was watching the scene unfold, called the, pro the proceedings to halt. He summoned the two friends and praised them for their devotion to each other. He offered to pardon the spy on one condition, that they include him in their circle of friendship. And so too the Torah says, When you love your friend like you love yourself, Hashem says, Ani Hashem, I want to join and be the third partner. When Hashem joins as our third partner, we have open access to his blessings and mercy, and that sweetens the judgment. And so today, we're like the Kohen Gadol. The Mishnah states that the shofar used on Rosh Hashanah can be taken from the horn of any animal, except, except for a cow or an ox. And the Gemara explains that this is based on the rule of an accuser cannot become a defender, which is derived from a statement of Rav Masna. Why doesn't the Kohen Gadol wear clothing made of gold when he enters a holy of holies? Because an accuser cannot become a defender. Since the sin of the golden calf involved an idol made of gold, gold stands as an accusation against the Jewish people. And therefore the Kohen Gadol cannot wear clothing made of gold as he defends the Jewish people. And likewise, the Gemara explains that the horn of a cow, the very animal the idol was fashioned to represents, represents cannot be made into a shofar that serves to bring us forgiveness on Rosh Hashanah. So the Gemara challenges this approach, proving from various sources that this rule applies specifically to the service within the Holy of Holies. But elsewhere, this rule does not apply. So if so, why is a cow's horn not permitted to be used as a shofar? The Gemara answers astoundingly, since the shofar is blown for the purpose of effecting a favorable remembrance of the Jewish people before Hashem, it's equivalent to a service performed in the Holy of Holies. And Rav Yisrael Salanter writes that a person must internalize this Gemara until he truly feels it. Therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, a person must imagine that he is the Kohen Gadol walking into the Holy of Holies. Imagine the fright that gripped the Kohen Gadol as he entered the holiest place on earth, not knowing if he will exit alive. And likewise, Rav Yisrael says, as we are being judged on Rosh Hashanah, we are standing right in front of Hashem. No different than the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, and we must tremble the very same way. And though Rav Israel derives from this Gemara a rather terrifying lesson, there is a beautiful lesson in Ahavas Israel that we can learn as well. As mentioned previously, the sages teach that before we pray, we have to first accept upon ourselves a mitzvah, Ahavas Israel. And the Sefer Basayan explains that since our daily prayers correspond to the offerings that were brought in the Bekta Dash. When we pray, it's as if we're actually offering a korban to Hashem. So in that case, when we pray, it's as if we are the Kohen, serving in the Bekta Mikdash. However, we can be likened to a Kohen only if we acquire the traits that the, Koh the Kohanim possessed, traits that they inherited from the progenitor of all Kohanim, Arona Kohen. As the Mishnah in Avos teaches us, Arona Kohen's trait was to pursue peace, shalom, loving all people alike and bringing them closer to Torah. 
And this is the paradigm for our prayers throughout the year. But on Rosh Hashanah, when the shofar blows, we're not like ordinary Kohen, but like the Kohen Gadol himself. On this awesome day, how much more we have to work on ourselves to truly love one another and strengthen our Ahavas Israel. The more we adopt the Ahavas Israel of the Kohen Gadol, the closer we'll be to this level of entering the Holy of Holies and more readily our prayers will be accepted. And fittingly, when the Kohen Gadol was in the Holy of Holies, he recited a short prayer that made no mention of any personal request. He prayed solely for the welfare of the Jewish people. And such was the Ahavas Israel and total selflessness of the Kohen Gadol. Baruch Adonai Leolam Amen Ve Amen.